teaching text, so if everyone's got their Bible or wherever they are reading it from, we're going to be in Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. I'll give you all a quick second to get there. As you are looking, I'm going to read our teaching text, and at the end of it, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will all respond with thanks be to God. Okay? So, Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, It's good to be here with you today. Um, I hope that everyone's excited, especially since throughout the week, for those of us that have just been meeting throughout the week, uh, Mel has talked this up so much that I feel the pressure, uh, to be honest. No, Uh, uh, today I'll just say this just really quick. Uh, I've been trying to really hard uh, to stick to uh, my notes here. Uh, If you see me today just sticking to it a little bit more, uh, it's because I really want it to be very intentional. I want the words to be that I say today. Uh, to be able to sink deep and to um, uh, be clear. And so uh, forgive me, this may be one of, one of maybe many times, I will say, uh, that, that I will stick as close as I can to this transcript that I've written out, but I hope to be more engaging uh, uh, throughout this time, but also uh, as we move forward. But I just wanted to let you know, just in case you feel like, man, I'm, he's just reading a book. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, so, so I just wanted to say that out front, just so that you know. Uh, just the intent and the purpose of what it is that I'm uh, hoping to accomplish today. Okay, so um, extend your grace. Uh, So we're in week four of our seven week journey as we walk through what we believe that the Lord has given uh, us as vision and mission for Ecclesia City. And I want to continually just keep two goals in front of you. uh, and, And two goals that we want to accomplish during these next few weeks uh, that we have remaining. And so the first goal is that uh, you would know what God is calling Ecclesia City into in our local expression and how we're going to attempt to live that out on a daily basis. Uh, We desire and we want uh, to be clear about the vision and the mission because we also want to be serious about walking that out regularly and consistently. Okay, so that's the whole purpose. We want to put this in front of you so that you know this is what Ecclesia City is going to be about and then be able to walk that out uh, clearly and consistently. Okay, goal number two, our hope is that by the end of the series, you would be able to make a commitment that says uh, that I want to join in on this vision and mission and that you would be able to confidently and with conviction say I'm in. Okay, Uh, the things that we are uh, that we've been going through, honestly, have been uh, countercultural that if you've been paying attention, uh, you are starting to realize and maybe even as you've been praying through your I'm in and your decision about whether or not uh, you're going to join into Ecclesia City, you uh, you're starting to realize that 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 in this countercultural, it means that being a part of this community, that you're abiding in God with zealous devotion, and then you, you're joining a community that's going to serve with sincere love. And this requires us 
to consistently evaluate our plans against our methods, to evaluate our actions against our motives. And if there is any discrepancy between those things, that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us make the shift into proper alignment. And so this I'm in is not something that is for uh, j- just to say I'm in the way that we've been used to in church world, for those of you that have grown up in church, but that you're saying I'm in and saying I'm serious about the mission and the vision that God has placed in this house. And so because of that, I want, I want to join in with this community. And so let's take a moment uh, just to review how far we've come. We said that at, 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 as Ecclesia City, we're going to be a gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things. This is what we have taken on as our uh, vision and mission statement. You ready? A gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things. And as a gathered people, we're going to gather under a common narrative. And the common narrative that we're going to gather under is... The kingdom has come. Yes, much better than the last two weeks. (laughs) The kingdom has come. We also identified that we are uh, a gathered people under a common ethic, which is really this ethic to live out what Romans 12 challenges us to live out, i.e. that we would be living sacrifices. And two weeks ago, we said that abiding in Jesus means that, that our being is found in him. And when our being is found in him, we make it a daily habit to deny our comforts, deny our passions, to, yes, deny our very life. And therefore, it is imperative that we abide in Jesus with zealous devotion, both, ready, personally and with one another in community. So we're going to abide with Jesus and we're going to do that personally, one-on-one, Jesus and me. And then we're going to do that with one another, Jesus and us. And in community, when we do this in community, our personal, our one-on-one practiced ethic meets the unity and the strength of the community. And it helps transform us as a church Mm -hmm. to be more like Jesus. And then last week, Uh, we looked at our second value, which is to serve with sincere love. We took our actions and we said, if we we love Jesus, we're going to look at the things that we're doing and we're going to evaluate them against our confession. And we said that if indeed we say that Christ is our life, the implications of our service means that we serve with sincere love. In other words, that we serve the way that Jesus served. And the primary ethic of the kingdom, don't forget this, the primary ethic of the kingdom is love. And the love for others that the kingdom of God demands is a love that is willing to serve your neighbor to the point of giving up your life for them. Doesn't that sound familiar? We're not, we're, we're not going to make these values up. We're not going to make these things up. When, when we look into the mirror of Scripture, we understand that loving in this way is loving the way that Jesus has asked us to love and the way that Jesus loved. It is the Jesus way. Yeah. 
And if this is the Jesus way, then, then as we serve with sincere love, it communicates, and we said this, it communicates to everyone, not just the people in this room, but I'm talking about the community that we live in uh, or that all of us live in, the, the workplace that we live in, that when we love the way that Jesus loved, everyone will know that you are Jesus' disciple. So don't forget those. Now, I remember it like it was yesterday. All of my preparation... Uh, my hard workouts at the gym to lose the necessary pounds that I needed to lose, the amount of time I spent in front of the mirror making sure that every hair of my faux hawk was in the right place, the pure satisfaction of knowing that, man, after I put on that tuxedo, my workouts had worked to help me fit into that fresh tuxedo that I got tailored specifically uh, smaller than what I was when I first started. It's a terrible choice. Don't do that. And the jitters that did not let me sleep at night before, they all culminated. And I know India and, and, and Kyle over there are saying, oh, we know the feeling too well. They just got married, by the way. Hey! <laughs> they all culminated in the moment that the heavy double wooden doors at the back of the sanctuary would fly open to reveal the moment that I had been anticipating all of my 24 years of existence up until that point. My whole life. My friend, I remember my friend and my best man at the time had told me, when those back doors fly open, do not take your eyes off of her. And I remember saying that to Kyle too, right? Take in the moment because you will continually come back to that moment. And taking his words to heart, those doors flew open. And I remember my breath, it just became a little more labored. Uh, my skin began to uh, perspire more than what it normally does. As I was enraptured. As I was enraptured by a beauty that can only be described as but a tiny sliver of, yes, the glory of God. Now, with her hair perfectly done and that side swoop that fell over, uh, right over her eye, a white dress, forgive me, uh, all of you that are married, you know what I'm talking about, with that white dress that accentuated the places that I loved most. <laughs> A face full of joy and radiant with delight. Eyes that sparkled and met mine as I stood at the front of the church. And if you can't tell from this picture, she is actually looking at me. She's not looking at the crowd. She's, I can tell she's looking at me, or at least I like to think that she is in that moment. And her eyes met mine at the front of the church. And out comes my bride, the love of my life. And that evening... We made a covenant before God and our people and with one another. And I remember saying to her this particular line in our vows. I said, if God is love, then loving you is being like God, is imitating God. 
And I just knew in that moment I was going to dedicate the rest of my life uh, trying to demonstrate the love of God to her till death do us part. This event and these words for me will never be forgotten. They are in my memory. In the next 13 years, this past May was 13 years, proved to be full of joy and they proved to be full of challenge. There were, uh, she can testify to this, there were nights in the first seven years of our marriage where I would be lying awake, uh, looking up at the ceiling and saying, God, is this what marriage is really like? Because if it is, I don't want it. And then there were nights where I fell into the deepest of sleep, knowing that the love that we shared was greater than anything that could try to come between us. And through it all, remembering this moment when those doors flew open has fueled me to love Lauren more than anyone I know. And remembering my words has given me the zeal and the passion that I need to continually align my actions with the confession that I made on May 23rd, 2009. See, we make it a habit to remember. Why? Because we forget. See, by being a part of Ecclesia City, you're going to often hear this phrase. And if you've been a part of it for some time, you have already heard it. And this is the phrase. We are a forgetful people. We've said it before. We're a forgetful people. From immediately, some of you maybe are, are experiencing this right now, and when I say it, you're going to be like, oh, crap. You're going to say, for, from immediately forgetting someone's name right after you meet them. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 to forgetting the faithfulness of God and how he has seen us through. All of us are prone to forget. And to add more salt to the wound, research has shown that in our ever-changing digital age, memory is not being accessed as often as it has in the past, leading to a decrease in memory function, i.e. it's making us even more forgetful. And last week we talked about serving with sincere love, and I made it a point to say that when we say the kingdom has come, We're not only confessing a kingdom that is not of this world, but we're also aligning our our practice with our confession. And right now, I want to dig a little deeper into why our practices do not align with our confession. Can anyone guess why? Everyone say, I'm forgetful. We tend to forget God and his benefits and ask him, what have you done? We, we forget his faithfulness and instead ask him, where are you? We forget about his goodness and instead ask him, why are you allowing this? We even forget about his love and sacrifice and instead ask him, who are you? We are plagued with suffering and we ask, how long? The who, the what, the when, the where, the how. We see time passing by without glimpses of his working and we, and we ask him, when are you going to do something about it? Our forgetfulness leads us down a dark path of questioning, 
of accusing and sometimes outright deceit, what the psalmist would call the valley of the shadow of death or what the Puritans would say, the dark night of the soul. And in every circumstance, we must remember with humble peacemaking. That is our third ethic, our third value with which we're going to live out our relationships. Remember with humble peacemaking. So here's our confession. The confession is, we remember that God is a God who remembers. We remember that God is a God who remembers. God remembers his covenant with his people. He remembers that he committed to loving his people with steadfastness and faithfulness. Uh, God remembers his promises and he remembers to be merciful uh, with his creation. The beauty of, of God remembering his covenant and his steadfast love is that God establishes his an identity and is faithful to it. Meaning that as you recall what God has promised, you are recalling who he is. You're recalling his character. And in case you don't know, or maybe you don't remember, God's character is revealed when he spoke to Moses on the mountain and he reveals his name for the first time when he says in Exodus 34, 5 through 7, it says that then the Lord came down the cloud and he stood there with him and proclaimed his name. And his name was the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming and he begins to proclaim his name, i.e. he begins to proclaim his character. He begins to proclaim his identity. And his identity is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You see, God is compassionate and gracious, not cruel and aloof. He is slow to anger. This, this uh, Hebrew phrase that happens here to describe slow to anger, it's a literal translation of him having long nostrils. That when, when you see your mom or your dad or maybe your spouse or a friend that is angry at you, the way that you know that they're angry is because they flare their nostrils at you. And this idea of long nostrils is this idea that God is unable to flare his nostrils quickly at you because it takes him a long time because of his long nostrils. That's the idea. Meaning, he's extremely patient, not exasperated with you. He is abounding in love and faithfulness, not hateful and inconsistent. He's forgiving not accusatory. He is just, not partial. And he wants us to remember. And as a matter of fact, 
the writers of scripture will continually appeal to this moment. They will continually point back to this moment where God reveals his character to help their hearers and the readers remember the character of God. And he wants us and, and, and he wants us to make sure we don't forget. See in Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four. God is speaking to his people and he says, Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember, we went through that in the Nicene Creed uh, week one. But he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Then he says this, These commandments that I give to you, I give you today are to be on your hearts. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land that is uh, with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you, you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So quick, everyone, do, do me a favor. Look on your person for something that is on you that reminds you of something you don't want to forget. Okay? As a married man, I have a ring. Married women, men in here, you have a ring. And it's on my finger that reminds me and announces to the world, one, that I'm married and I've made a covenant with a woman, my wife, to be faithful. It reminds me I I must be faithful to her and to the covenant that I've made. I have pictures of my kids on my phone to remind me that I'm not just a husband, but I'm also a father. And for some of you, it may be a tattoo of of, uh, of the name of a person or of an event that you were willing to mark yourself permanently to not forget. For some of you, it may be a necklace with a cross an initial or a gemstone. And for others, it may be uh, like Chelsea's uh, coffee mug. I'm going to pick on you because you left it here last time. But uh, <laughs> uh, Chelsea's coffee mug that has a picture of Dax's face on it. And under it, it says, Daxie's mommy. <laughs> Just in case you forget. There you go. <laughs> so maybe a coffee mug with a picture or a movie quote or the quintessential Bible verse to help you remember that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. See, we're bombarded with things to remember. Uh Uh-oh. And what we need... Hold on, see? I knew that this was going to happen. There we go. And what we need, then, is a reorientation unto remembering. See, because every day we wake up drifting... Drifting away from the God who has saved us. We look at our circumstances and we drift towards unbelief. We fall into apathy 
and we drift towards prayerlessness. We walk into temptation and we drift into addiction. We honestly forget God. In Psalm 103, David sings a song that says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And I didn't make a mistake. I purposely left that, uh, if you don't know what that long dash is called, you can call it a long dash, but the technical term for the long dash is called an M dash. And the reason, the function of an M dash, when you see it in literature or in any type of writing, it's meant to provide emphasis on what you uh, were just reading. And here, uh, I'm about to tell you what comes after the M dash, but here the psalmist is urging his soul to praise the Lord so that he does not forget the benefits of the Lord. So what's the opposite implication of that? The opposite implication of of his song is that if he does not praise the Lord, then he will forget the Lord's benefits. You see, remembering tethers us to God's faithfulness in the past to get us to walk through the present and future with confidence. Let's all turn to Psalm 103 real quick. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to show you real quick. So we read verses 1 and 2, but let's read 2 again. And it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. M dash, long dash. What are his benefits? Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I want to I show you something. If you don't believe me, that the, that the writers of Scripture would continually point back to Exodus 34. Look at verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's pointing back his people in this song to sing this song so that they do not remember. It reminds us where we have anchored our confidence and remembering reminds us that God will always remember his covenant and his promises with his people. And so coming back to my story that I gave you in the beginning, this is why I will never forget when those doors flung open on my wedding day. And I remind myself of that moment to give me fuel to love and serve Lauren in the way that God calls me to my whole life now hold the following in perfect tension now if you don't know anything about your muscles your muscles only work whenever there's tension that's applied right one muscle is relaxed the other one goes in tension and when you move the opposite muscle goes relaxed and vice versa okay so hold the following in perfect tension even though i said that god remembers and that he remembers everything, there's actually something that he forgets. And it is good news that he forgets this one thing. 
Hebrews 8.12 For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So when we say God remembers everything, that is actually not a 100% accurate statement. God does forget and what he forgets is our sin. That whenever you've been forgiven, he forgets his sin. The context of this verse is that God has established a new covenant with his people. And unlike the old covenant where the laws were written on stone tablets and, and they were commanded to put, put them on their foreheads or write them on their hands or put them on the doorpost, the new covenant is such that God's laws are in our minds and they're written on our hearts. And God said it in the Old Testament and now he's repeating it in the new that he does not remember your sins. And so what that should do for us is that it should keep us focused on ferociously seeking and following Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus doesn't forgive your sin. And so what sin actually does or what condemnation actually does, it pulls us away from God. But when you remember that he forgets your sin, it causes you to ferociously go after him and seek him because you're like, you don't remember what I did. So, man, I'll tell you about me. I have a tendency to fall into apathy and discouragement and I want to give into temptation and I want to veer into sin. And now let me be brutally honest. Sometimes I make a conscious decision to sin. And yet here's God saying to us that he will not remember our sin. Instead, he blots it out. He forgives it. It's like taking a whiteout to that term paper that you were writing back in the day when you had, you had no word processor. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm aging myself. Blots <laughs> it out. And so I don't know about you, but I want to pray like David. I, I want to I remember. I want to say, remember my soul. Don't forget his benefits. He's the one who forgives And remembering helps us weave meaning throughout our abiding and our serving. It's stitching together a fuller picture of God's calling on our lives as Romans 12 people. That when Romans 12 says, live as a living sacrifice, remembering allows us to start every day. That even though we start our day drifting towards our selfish desires and our cultural narratives, we get distracted by things of the world, misplacing our identity and purpose, remembering is a powerful antidote to drifting. It reorients our minds and our hearts back to, lo- to the love and mission of the kingdom of God. Remembering secures our hearts in the knowledge of his nature and what he has done for us. And now I have to say this about remembering. The act of remembering does not simply mean uh, recalling information from the past but it also implies an appropriate response to that knowledge in the present. Remembering is closely linked with action. And this is why we at Ecclesia City believe that Romans 12 leads us to having an ethical value of remembering with humble peacemaking. 
The implication of remembering is that if we remember what God has done, then we align our actions with our confession. To remember is not passive. It evokes action. It means that I remember where the Lord has saved me and delivered me from or where he has demonstrated his faithfulness. And I say that if God can do it for me, then he can do it for anybody. Remembering then with humble peacemaking means, ready, that we get to live out God's justice and mercy in the world. That when we say that we're a gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things, is that it, it means that we practice bringing God's justice and mercy in the world that does not actually understand justice and mercy. We have a prerogative. We have a calling. We have a mandate from God to stand up for the marginalized, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the widowed and the orphaned. Because we are called by God to remember what he has done throughout generations and act in accordance with his character. We have a mandate to be in unity with one another and with our neighbors. When I say, when loving, uh, when I say with one another, loving one another becomes hard sometimes. I'm talking about the people in this room specifically. A fence gets taken up. And so what we do is that we remember the love of Jesus and we follow the example of Jesus, i.e., we follow the example that he has laid out in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 would instruct us that when somebody offends you, when, or when you're hurt by someone, that we talk to our brother or our sister one-on-one and we say, you've offended me. We don't just sit idly by or passive. That the reason why we do pass the peace during our gathering is because we want to be in peace with one another in here. And if there isn't a peace, you call them up and you say, can we go to coffee? Can we sit down? Because I feel offended or hurt by you. Then it instruct us that if, if, if they don't listen or they don't want to uh, repent or if they don't, uh, maybe if, if they get really angry or more angry with you, that you then take two or three others with you to be able to have that conversation again. Hey, I'm pleading with you. And then if they refuse to listen, Matthew 18 would say, tell it to the church. Hey, we've tried. And we're letting you guys know, let's pray. Let's, let's urge them. Let's, let's call them into a right relationship with the Lord. And if they refuse again, Jesus would tell us to treat them as a sinner. And we pray continually that the Lord would restore them. That sounds harsh, but the point is, is that we're seeking after unity. Peacemaking. Now, when we go about our callings in the world, it means that we remember the Lord's justice and mercy and we enter into our world each day being a peacemaker among those who don't know him. It means that we go into our neighborhoods and workplaces with the goodness of God. 
It means that we actively participate in society to destroy the systems that, that oppress people or hold them in bondage, such as things like the porn industry. Things like uh, human trafficking or things like active racism. And we call the people who lead them to repentance and we urge to turn them away. And we ask the Lord, Lord, will you destroy those systems? And it means at the same time that we hold this conviction, this idea of peacemaking, both confidently, but we also do it charitably. That we're not jerks about it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Johnny, that's too lofty. We will never be able to do that. And who do you think we are? Let's go to Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. Our text for today. That was just the intro. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Twelve three. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you what I'm not asking you to do is take on a savior complex but I am reminding you that God has put giftings inside of you so that you're able to walk out those giftings and walk in those giftings, not just among this people that are gathered here today, but that you would exercise those giftings in a manner that brings renewal to others. And that you would use those giftings in the way that verse 17 of chapter 12 says. And it says this, you ready? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That if someone did something to you that was evil, that you not turn around and do something evil to them. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of God. Wait, scripture is controversial now. People are getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. I got nervous. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Not, not just that one person, but everyone. And if it is possible, now there's a little bit of it out there, if it is possible, as far though as it depends on you, you're going to encounter people that don't love Jesus maybe, and they're not going to want to be at peace with you. As a matter of fact, they're probably going to treat you in an evil way. But as far as it depends on you is what scripture would say. Verse 12, living as a living sacrifice, live at peace with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take revenge. And here's Paul, Paul's pleading uh, with you, my dear friends. Don't take revenge, but leave room for what? For God's wrath, not yours. Listen, husband, listen, wife. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, not your wrath. This is strong language that... (laughs) Nudging each other here. No. It's strong language that he's using, but but here's the point. It is written, God is saying this, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And on the contrary, look to where this, this, uh, where Paul appeals to. He appeals to the Old Testament and he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, let's read this properly. Paul isn't saying, do this so that you will reap burning holes, uh, coals on his head. Let's evaluate the motive. Peacemaking means that you're truly and entirely desiring to be at peace, to make peace, not partial peace where, man, there's this something here that I still desire there to be something wrong or something that the Lord does, karma, I'm not going to finish that statement, but, but karma is actually uh, not uh, biblical, okay? Karma is not biblical. Because here scripture is saying, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And ready? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. With good. That's peacemaking. The motives of our heart is to enter into the fray, enter into the culture, the culture that tells you that you need to be hateful or that you need to stick it to the man or the one that says that you need to uh, 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 step on top of your fellow brother or sister or your fellow man to get to the top. Here, the, uh, Paul and the scriptures would tell us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remembrance then becomes an art of constant reflection and praxis or practice where we allow the reflection of God's nature and and work to influence our actions and draw us back to his mission a heart that remembers is actually a courageous heart it's equipped to disarm one of the enemy's most powerful tactics and his most powerful tactics, tactics, it's not to convince us that there is no God, but to distract us into forgetting about him. And so as we close, here's two questions that I'd like for us to consider during our ministry time. Where do you need the Holy Spirit's help to remind you of God's love and faithfulness? We drift. We, we wake up every day, and I, I, I'll never forget when someone said this to me. We wake up every day drifting. And so that's why it's imperative for us to, um, and I, I want to encourage you, this is not a practice uh, of mine uh, that, that I have perfected. But it's something that I want to get better at. That every morning, that the thing that you reach for is not your phone, but it would be for the word of the Lord, for the word of God, for your Bible. And just dedicate the first 10 minutes. If you could do more, perfect. But just 10 minutes to reading his word. And to remind yourself of God's love and faithfulness. 
And second, where do you need courage to enter in with humble peacemaking? And when you take inventory of all of your relationships, I'm not asking you, uh, where, do you where do you need courage to enter into humble peacemaking in all of your relationships? I'm just asking you for one. One thing. One. Where do you need courage to enter in with humble peacemaking? Now, the culmination of our service is communion. And you may be wondering, you talked 44 minutes about remembering and you didn't even mention communion if you've grown up in church. If you haven't, the reason why I'm saying that is because on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread. And when he took the bread, he broke it. He, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my broken body for you, that every time you eat of it, that you would do it to remember me. And then when he took the cup, he took it and he said, uh, this is my blood that was shed for you. And every time you drink of this cup together, that you would remember me. One of the most visceral things that we do during our service to remind us who God is and what he has done is the communion table. That the reason why we say this is the culmination of our service, that, that even though uh, we don't spend maybe as much time on it, n don't diminish the importance because of the uh, amount of time that we spend on it. This is actually the most important part of our service. Because what it does is that it reminds us of God's character, of who he is, that Jesus gave up his life for you and me. And when we eat of it, we remember that we're all united in Jesus. We remember of his love. We remember his mercy. We remember his grace. And so today, as we participate in uh, taking of the elements, that we would take these and that we would know and that we would call to mind and call to memory where the Lord has taken us from and what he has done for us that leads us to this moment right here. Similar to the time when the double doors open and I will always remember that to help me today. This is what it does, what taking communion does every single week that we do it here and every single time that you do it at home. It tethers you to God's character and it causes you to walk that out on a daily basis. So, Lord, I thank you for your goodness towards us and your faithfulness. And I pray that your spirit would call to mind just areas where we have forgotten you. Will you forgive us for our forgetfulness? where we have veered and drifted away from you. And so, Lord, today we make it a point to remember you. Lord, we turn away from the apathy and the prayerlessness and we turn towards you who calls us to live 
who calls us to remember with humble peacemaking to enter in and make peace with one another because that's what you did for us and you showed us the way. So Lord, will you do that for us? Holy Spirit, convict us and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name. Whenever you're ready, the elements are being served. That you would come and partake of it. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the in the grape wine that's there. I, mean, I say I was going to say grape juice, but it's both. Non-alcoholic wine, thank you. And that you would partake of that and remember what Jesus has done. And then I, I ask you that, you that you go up with to one another, that you would ask, is there something I could pray with you for? That simple. That you would pray for one another and minister to one another in that way. So whenever you're ready.